Blog Talk Radio. Some 50-plus countries have been identified tuning their computer to our broadcast. Just this past week, listeners from Croatia, Sri Lanka, Philippines, the Netherlands tuned us in, among many others. Thanks to the listeners in these countries and many others, we're glad to tell you that the familiar logo of Eastern Airlines will be on planes flying the skies around the world. More on that later. We can say we truly are the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and along with hosts from many different areas in the U.S., we say welcome to our Eastern world. Now, to get the show rolling, Chuck Albright, our announcer, will introduce you to the rest of the hosts. Chuck, it's all yours. Well, thank you very much. Hello, Eastern family and friends. As our producer said, we're glad you're with us for more Eastern talk, news, and information. As he said, my name's Chuck Albright. I'm coming to you live from the village of Florida, where the weather is a balmy 70-some-odd degrees today, and we had beautiful sunshine. Let's hear from our hosts and ask them to give their locations and their weather. Mr. Producer, if I miss anyone, please let me know. Let's start with my neighbors kind of up north. Don and Dorothy, how are things in the villages? Well, we're hanging in there like everyone else and doing all the things that we're supposed to do to keep ourselves well. Don, what's our weather like today? Well, today we reached a high of 91 degrees at 2 o'clock, and we expect to be in the mid-90s at the end of the week and clear skies. Well, that sounds like a great place for people to play golf. It is. Now, Jim and Carrie Holder, how goes it in the Atlanta area? And while we have you and before the program, would you like to tell us the latest about REPA's news? We understand there will be a newsletter and its future. Well, first, the weather in Atlanta, about uh, in Conyers, about 30 miles east of Atlanta. It was very cold and rainy and dreary day today, but by Wednesday, it's supposed to clear off and be in the 70s and low 80s, so we're looking forward to that. <laughs> Bet. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, on the reaping news, Jim Holder will give you a little bit on the reaping news. Um, I've been working up on the REPA newsletter, Repartee newsletter, and I hope to have it mailed by mid-April. Looks like it's going to be either 16 or 20 pages. It prints off in what they call signatures or groups of four pages. You might remember in the Repartee magazine, it was 16-page groups. So it'll either be uh, 20 or maybe 16 pages. And I hope to have it out mainly because of the August uh, 26th reunion up in uh, north of Atlanta and Kennesaw, Georgia. And that's going to be a two-night reunion like last year starting on August 26th. And we invite uh, Mike Scott, uh, folks down in Florida, George Dean, all of the hosts here. We're inviting you all to come on down to the Big Peach and join us up for a fine reunion in August. Okie dokie. Well, thank you very much, Jim Carrey. Hey, in the state of the Big Apple, we'll travel up to Long Island, where Mike Scott calls home. How is it, Mike? It's been raining all day, and tomorrow's supposed to be 55 and sunny. Take that one, and I guess it's about the same where George is, but he might have had some snow this morning. <laughs> oh. Hopefully not. Now, back to Florida. The West Coast, our host and the source of our silver liner news, is Colleen DeFleet. Colleen, first the weather report and then the latest silver liner news. Thanks, Jeff. Well, here in Wesley Chapel, I'm about 45 minutes south of uh, Don and Dorothy, so it's pretty much the same weather. It's 81 degrees right now, and by Friday it'll be uh, low to mid-90s with sunshine all week long. As for the silver liners, uh, unfortunately we've canceled, not canceled, we've postponed our convention that was supposed to be May 3rd to the 6th in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um We're hoping that uh, when our crisis is over that we can have our convention because everybody's going to need a good party. (laughs) Well, that sounds like a good idea. Now let's go down to the Miami area, and we have our eastern version of 3.0 guy, Mark Porter. Hello, Mark. How's the weather down there? You on tonight? The weather is really nice and warm, I think. Part of it's the uh, afterburners of those eastern jets that are bringing people home. <laughs> and Chuck, we've got uh, we've got George Jen up in the New York area tonight with us as a guest uh, host. And George, how are things going up there in Long, Long Island? Well, like Mike said before, uh, I woke up this morning and it was snowing, and oh, uh, it's probably one of one of the nastiest days, of, I can't say the winter because it's spring now, but it's one of the nastiest days we've had in a long time. Northeast oh, wind, probably 20 knots right now. Wow. <clears throat> wow. Uh-huh. That's a, that's a well, well our host. I w- before you go, Chuck, uh, into the program, uh, I'd like to say we're here in St. Augustine, the oldest city in America, and the weather has just been very delightful. We've not had any rain. It's all appeared up there in Jim and Carrie's area, 
but uh, I am using the hose quite a bit because we're going through a little drought area here, but the temperatures are just ideal. Mm -hmm. So it's really nice. Okay, Chuck, mm -hmm. take it away. Well, from all our hosts, welcome, and thank you for listening and calling the show over the past nine years. You have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. We love to hear your comments and share your memories with the radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called the show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611 just say hello to talk to us on the air, live every Monday evening. As our producer said earlier, we can identify with many countries around the world who listen in on our blog talk radio application. Just think, we have folks from Denmark and Sweden and Germany and France, Italy and Spain, Brazil, Turkey, China and Japan. And a special welcome to the Czech Republic that just picked us up last week. That's what we try to do every week on the Eastern Radio Show. Won't you join us by adding your voice to these broadcasts? Oh, our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.easternradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in on the site of our provider, Bug Talk Radio, at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie, to remember to abbreviate the word Captain to C-A-P-T. Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-161611, and that's at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Let me repeat the number so you can write it down for your Monday night visit, 213-816-1611. By the way, Tell your friends about us. Our membership is growing. We're now way up over 1,037 Eastern family and friends. Don't forget, you can still listen to any of our 449 Monday night broadcasts and our 100-plus Thursday broadcasts by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. That's C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E. -E -E, and scrolling down through the archives of the broadcast. Each episode is briefly described, and we're nearing our 600th episode now, and all that because of the listeners like you wanting to talk about Eastern Airlines. Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with our host, we ask you to please mute your phone, as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises. And now I see we're number one for takeoff. So, Captain, let's get flight 449 in the air. Tower Blur is 757, the most advanced, most fuel-efficient commercial jet ever built. It's going to help Eastern hold down the cost of flying for years to come. We earn our wings for you. 
expert witness. We thought you might get a better understanding of what it takes to be considered an expert witness. So here's a clip. Let's listen. What you do in your father's garage? Tune-ups, oil changes, brake relining, engine rebuilds, rebuild some trannies, rear ends. Okay, okay. But does being an ex-mechanic necessarily qualify you as being an expert on tire marks? No. Thank you. Goodbye. Sit down and stay there until you're told to leave. Oh, I know this song. <laughs> Your Honor, Ms. Vito's expertise is in general automotive knowledge. It is in this area that her testimony will be applicable. Now, if Mr. Trotter wishes to voir dire a witness as to the extent of her expertise in this area, I'm sure he's going to be more than satisfied. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Now, uh, Ms. Vito, being an expert on general automotive knowledge, can you tell me what would the correct ignition timing be on a 1955 Bel Air Chevrolet with a 327 cubic inch engine and a four barrel carburetor? A bullshit question. Does that mean that you can't answer it? It's a bullshit question. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. Your Honor, I move to disqualify Ms. Vito as an expert witness. Can you answer the question? No. It is a trick question. Why is it a trick question? Watch this. Because Chevy didn't make a 327 in 55. The 327 didn't come out till 62. And it wasn't offered in the Bel Air with a four-barrel carb till 64. However, in 1964, the correct ignition timing would be four degrees before top dead center. Well, um, <laughs> she's acceptable, Your Honor. My cousin Billy. Neil, that's a great clip. I remember that movie so well. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. And everybody knows how to tune an engine, right? Yeah, you'll like the next one. Okay. Well, on on a more serious note here, we have some helpful information if you would like to get your knowledge and experience from one of our hosts. We do have an EAL host who has this experience. First off, welcome back, George Jen. Thank you. We don't make it better when we when better shown when your comments to the program and we understand you've got some information on a topic. How about sharing something with us? Sure, thanks. Um, it, it actually, I, I I was an expert witness on approximately four cases, and uh, it, it just came about as a uh, uh, it was really a chance encounter uh, with. Uh, a fellow who's uh, since then become a very close friend, Andrew Maloney, who's a uh, partner, a former um, uh, federal prosecutor and now a partner at Kreinler & Kreinler, which is the world's largest aviation uh, investigative uh, law firm. And um, he goes by the nickname of Duke. And Duke and I, we we started speaking in his office one day, and... uh, 
He said, well, because I had gone to see him. I was thinking about when I retired from flying, going to law school. And he said, well, you know, with with your background on the uh, Eastern MEC and on the System Board of Adjustment, he said, well, instead of going to law school, you know, heck, we'll, we'll give you a job here as an expert witness. So I figured, wow, save me three years of school, a lot of money. I said, why not? So um, my first case that I that I was an expert on. By the way, most probably 99% of the cases, they never get to trial. They always settle out of court. And uh, the first case that I was on with Kreinler was a um, uh, a um, American Airlines uh, upset as they were headed into uh, I forget the city in Texas, but there was a, a gentleman on board who they hit. Uh, severe turbulence and he, he hit the ceiling of the aircraft and could no longer work and so I was the expert witness on that and uh, that was probably one of the most interesting cases that I had heard and um, or that I had you know offered my advice on and I couldn't believe the information that's available today you know when when we fly as pilots we always think well what goes on in the cockpit stays in the cockpit but that's not the case anymore. Now there are um, over like uh, they have oversight of your flight from takeoff until landing, uh, with the weather there, things of that nature. And uh, so it it really came down to whether or not the uh, you know the the pilot had exercised the best judgment uh, in, in before this passenger was injured and. Uh, that's that's what it came down to, and the uh, case was settled out of court. And uh, the next case I was on involved a uh, the Port Authority, where I was an expert for the Port Authority, uh, and it was a case against uh, Continental, or the case was against the Port Authority. They were the defendants uh, by Continental Airlines. There had been a uh, 737 that had a Continental 737 that had taken off and ingested a uh, runway centerline light. So uh, the engine, nobody was injured, thank goodness they aborted the takeoff, but the engine was destroyed and was valued at over $5 million. And um, in that particular case, it was not with Kreindler, it was with another law firm. And um, the, the, uh, the information and the evidence in that case was not really there when I, when I got into it. And um, so I, I, I tracked it all down, and it was uh, actually very interesting to do. And we we presented it to show that, in fact, the Port Authority was not totally responsible for what had happened, that there were other uh, contributing factors to it. And the case was settled for a lot less than what it, what it had been originally asked for. Uh, then I was involved in a couple of uh, private airplane uh one was a crash where the plane was obviously uh, taken off overweight and uh, it hit a tree after takeoff and uh, nobody was killed, thank goodness, but there were several severe injuries and, and that worked out well for the plaintiffs. But either fortunately or from a perspective of being an expert witness, unfortunately, as we all know, the past uh, five or six years have been minimal uh, any minimal crashes or anything like that. Uh, so there hasn't been much call for an expert witness in anything. The one 
case that I did turn down was the one up in Buffalo. I forget the name of the airline. It was a uh, continental commuter flight that had crashed up there. I believe there were 49 people killed, and um, including some people on the ground. But I, I was asked to, uh, you know, be a witness in that particular case. But um, the I really, you know, there's so much pain and suffering that I, I really didn't want to do it, so I declined. Uh, and there were a couple other cases where um, Kreinler attempted to get jurisdiction, but they occurred outside of the United States, and in those <coughs> cases they were not able to get jurisdiction on the cases, so uh, they were never heard in a U.S. courtroom. And uh, that, that's about it. That was the extent of I probably – should have gone to law school because, as I said, for the past five or so years, things have been very, very quiet. Um, the only intervening thing I had was during the, um, I don't remember what year it was, but when the German wings uh, airplane crashed, I think it was an Airbus, uh, crashed uh, in Europe, uh, I was asked to do a TV interview. And at the time, everybody was pointing the finger at the co-pilot saying that, you know, he had committed suicide and flown the airplane into the mountain, but there had been no definitive proof at the time about that. So I guess it didn't go over too well with the TV station because they never called me. It was a New York TV station. They never called me for another interview after that. <coughs> Excuse me, after that, <laughs> when when it was proven that, you know, the co-pilot did commit suicide. But, you know, I, I just cautioned them on TV, on the camera, not to rush to judgment before all the facts were in. But as it turned out, I was wrong, and uh, although I still would stick by that evidence whenever something like that happens. But, you know, they, they got that through. They got to me through my uh, work as an expert witness. But, but that's been, been about the extent of uh, my work in those areas, you know. Well, George, did you send out a resume to these law firms uh, or TV stations? Uh, what do you recommend? At a person that uh, feels like they want to do something like what you did, uh, what's the best way of doing it? Uh, contact an aviation attorney because I'm sure that flight attendants and mechanics all qualify for you know this expert witness at, at various uh, uh, crash trials or whatever you call them. Yeah, well, um, that that would probably be the best way to do it. Like I said. My in my particular case, I was just fortunate in that I had run into uh, Duke and we had discussed it. And you know, cause I, I I went to him to uh, you know ask about if I went to law school with my background, would they hire me as an attorney in their firm? And he said yes, they would. But he said why, why don't you just be an expert witness? You'll make uh, just about the same hour. You get paid by the hour, by the way. And, you know, you get paid travel time and expenses and things like that. He said, you make as much money doing that as you would as an attorney. And uh, like I said, fortunately, there hasn't been that much work for me. But had I become an attorney, and I I actually went and took the LSAT test with the idea of uh, starting law school. But then when uh, Duke suggested that to me, I said, okay. And it didn't take much convincing. I was never one to... uh, really like, you know, sitting in school, especially with people who are now, you know, 50 years younger than me. But um, in any case, uh, you know, I I have no regrets about it. It was very interesting work. And what really got me was the expertise of the attorneys, especially at Kreinler and Kreinler, 
uh, in these areas. I mean, there are there are a couple of attorneys there who are pilots, and some of them have an ATP, but not all of them. And even the ones who work there, uh, who who don't, uh, are really very, very, very good attorneys who know their business. Believe me. So, mm-hmm. but if anybody's interested, as you asked uh, before. You know, if anybody's interested in the work, I would suggest that they put together a resume which shows why they're qualified to do it. And then uh, today you can actually, if you're on anything like LinkedIn or even Facebook or something like that, you could post that online. And, you know, if somebody does a a search, like a Google search for aviation expert witness, your name might come up on that. So you never know. Interesting, though. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was very very interesting work, and all all the little things that we really never give much thought to when we're flying. You know, I mean, it, we, we take them for granted. And but today, like, th- there's a weather overlay for a flight's entire trip. Uh, in this, in one case I was on, it was from California all the way down to Texas. A minute by minute overlay of the weather. Uh, on the flight route, it was uh, very, very mm-hmm. interesting. In the in the other case, um, with uh, the Continental engine, uh, the the law firm it was not Kreinler, and they, they had uh, missed getting a few things, uh, like the um, and there were a few things that the attorneys weren't up to speed on, um, and and I, I was fortunate enough to know about those things and was able to get them and. That helps settle the case. But like I said, I've never sat on a case where I wound up in front of a judge or a jury or both and had to testify because probably 99% of the cases are settled out of court. Very interesting. Okay, <laughs> Colleen, how about it? <clears throat> okay. Well, now, since most of our listeners are or have been in aviation-related fields, let's focus in on this type of expertise. Aviation accidents are complicated because so many factors are involved. As aviation accident lawyers, it's their job to investigate every avenue, looking at the airworthiness of the aircraft, the people involved in the flight, such as ground crew, pilot, and air traffic controllers, and the weather conditions during the flight. At most aviation law firms, their airplane accident attorneys have access to the most respected expert witnesses in their specialty who help analyze and explain the circumstances surrounding the accident and provide their professional opinions on the cause of the accident. Carrie? That's right, Colleen. So who is qualified? The technical issues involved include piloting, aircraft maintenance and overhaul, weather and aerodynamics. Federal courts and most state courts allow any witness to be qualified as an expert if that witness possesses knowledge, skill, experience, training, or education that might aid the jury or judge to understand. And in addition, aviation law firms use the most up-to-date technology and a host of resources to demonstrate that another person's carelessness caused your loved one's accident. So let's take a look at some types of aviation experts. Colleen, can you tell us more? Certainly. Here are two. Depending on the cause of an accident, attorneys may consult the following experts to help attest the details surrounding a person's claim. Accident reconstructionists 
are used to descriptively and factually illustrate the circumstances of the case to a jury or judge in an easy-to-understand manner. Many experts in this area have credentials from the Accreditation Commission for Traffic Accident Reconstruction, APTAR, um, as they reconstruct a wide range of accidents. They also typically belong to organizations such as the National Association of Professional Accident Reconstruction Specialists, Accident Reconstruction Communication Networks, Aircraft Owners and Pilot Association, um, APO, or other regional, state, and local groups. Some are full-time crash reconstructionists, while others offer such expertise in addition to their main occupations. Aerodynamic experts assist in crashes involving propellers, helicopter rotors, air load or structural calculations, a plane stability and control, jet propulsion, electrical propulsion, and electrical discharges. These experts also can evaluate if weather or speed played a role in the accident. Aerodynamic experts are often professors, researchers, and consultants in the field. But there are more. Mike, what do you have? Yes, Kelly, and of course there are many experts to be called from the ranks, uh, also like from the air traffic controllers. Air traffic control experts can uh, are vital in assisting the legal team of aviation accident attorneys with analysis as they prepare a case for litigation. Uh, and they will be vital in des- in describing the uh, to the jury what could or should have happened during the events leading up to a crash. Many of these experts are currently or formerly members of the Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, air traffic control evaluation and investigation staff, and most are current or former air traffic specialists, some of the pilots or even flight instructors as well. Aviation law firms may retrain such experts to analyze the communication between commercial, the commercial airline and an airline and the air traffic controller or center, as it may be. As for aircraft engineers, it may be necessary to have expert engineers advising and or to testify as to what role, if any, design defects in an aircraft's engineering contributed to the crash. Engineers will, among other things, assess, access, or assess the aircraft's design defect, electrical systems, fuel systems, and workmanship. And when we think back to the uh, 737 MAX, which is currently under investigation, the law firm may utilize aerospace, civil, mechanical, maintenance, materials, electrical and electronic, and even ocean and marine engineers, depending on the circumstances circumstances of each case. They may also consult senior scientists, distinguished professors, military personnel, FAA officials, or those with years of experience in aircraft manufacture, amongst others. Captain Jim, do you have any more to add to this list? Oh, yes, Mike, I do. Uh, Airline employees, including pilots, mechanics, and or safety officers on the list of who would make an expert list. In any investigation of an aircraft crash, the role of human error has to be considered as an aviation team knows that the pilot or other human errors commonly contribute to the accident. They obtain experts from aviation service companies, airline manufacturing companies, and airports. 
These experts are familiar with flight procedures and standards and work, and they interact with others in the industry on a daily basis. They may work with former airline pilots from major airlines, and I guess that's where my expertise may come in. Experts can include workers at a manufacturing plant, maintenance workers, the pilot and the crew, air traffic controllers, weather analysts, airport security personnel, and more. A design flaw or defect in the aircraft could eventually prove to be a fatal mistake. It takes an expert or a team of experts in all phases of aircraft manufacturing to investigate what role manufacturing may have played in the accident. An aviation manufacturing expert may review avionics, electrical system design, mechanical systems, and other controls for manufacturing defects or look for any other defect that may have led to a loss of operational control by the pilot. Carrie Sue. And, Jim, being an expert pilot as you are, you know, for example, that weather experts that might be consulted for weather conditions will examine evidence from the crash and recreate the circumstances to see what effect rain or ice, lightning or wind shear, fog and clouds or other meteorological conditions may have had in your case. These weather experts come from various backgrounds and include professionals who are properly qualified in weather and climate litigation, for support and expert witness services. This includes forensic meteorology and climatology professors. Right now, there are about 5,000 commercial airplanes in the sky over the United States. Well, maybe not right now due to the coronavirus, unfortunately, but the combination of high speeds, high altitude, and volatile chemicals could make flying a dangerous form of transportation. However, the odds of dying in a car accident are 20 times 29 times higher than an airliner. But because lawsuits usually involve technical and regulatory knowledge, aviation expert witnesses are very necessary in litigating aviation cases. An aviation expert witness can be used to explain certain engineering, design, or human aspect to the judge and jury, as well as determine the cause of accidents, as we have discussed. Carrie, after a plane crash, though, the accident scene and the salvage remains are taken under the custody of the National Transportation Safety Board, or the NTSB. This can last for up to a year and a half sometimes, as remains must be preserved for examination. The released NTSB reports are often vague with no determination of a root cause. What's more, their opinions on probable cause are not admissible as evidence at a trial. While manufacturers, airlines, and insurance representatives have full access to the wreckage, the plaintiffs do not. This inequality means that the plaintiffs need to conduct their own separate investigation and consult an aviation expert witness, specifically one who is able to analyze the NTSB's report and draw conclusions about the proximate cause of the accident based on the facts available to them. The aviation expert witness should have a background in aviation mechanics and engineering in order to analyze the facts of the report and uncover the cause of the accident. 
Another, often called to be an expert witness, is a failure analysis expert. He is or she in this field can examine the evidence of a helicopter or plane wreckage. They will then use their knowledge of mechanical engineering to determine the machine-driven factors of a crash. Given access to that part of the wreckage, investigators could figure out the mechanical problems with the aircraft's equipment, or they could examine the systems that caused or contributed to the crash. This could include parts breakage and failure of the plane system controls for the fuel system or the landing gear. They also can speak to proper aircraft maintenance repairs and whether the aircraft in question was maintained at a level of airworthiness by the airline. Jim and Mike, can you add more to this, being a pilot, an air crew expert witness? Yeah, Dorothy, actually, well, I'll go first. This is Jim. For tort cases and possible violation matters, the blame is most often placed on either the manufacturers of the aircraft or on pilot aircraft. A pilot expert witness could speak to the standards of the training, the health, and performance to determine if a certain pilot made a mistake. They would be familiar with the Federal Aviation Administration's regulations regarding crews. They would also be able to testify as to whether a certain pilot operated within his or her scope of authority or any given action. Most pilot preserves experts are or were experienced professional aviators themselves. Therefore, they have firsthand experience with the demands and responsibilities of flying. Mike, you want to take it? Yeah, I agree with everything you say, Jim. And it's uh, like we always uh, mention uh, that the, uh, there's three things that cause aircraft accidents. It's either pilot error, mechanical failure, or a combination of both. But uh, as we know, the ATC and electronics and all of the rest uh, all take a, uh, a part in, in it all now. It's, uh, it's just a big, large picture like we've been discussing where everything has to be looked at to, uh, to determine what the, uh, where there was a problem and uh, how to correct it so it doesn't ever happen again. Okay, thanks so much, guys. As most of our listeners know, we have much talent among our hosts and listeners, as you heard tonight. Uh, George, Jen, uh, you've written a couple of books. Uh, Wonderful. Uh, You say you've got some more coming out, but uh, uh, Destination Disaster. uh, I forgot the title. Tell me the title, George. That's Final Destination Disaster, What Really Happened to Eastern Airlines. Yeah, That's that's a hell of a book. It really is. I love reading it. Wow. Well, I I have to tell you, it wasn't much fun writing it, that's for sure. I bet not. I bet not. Knowing what so many people went through. Yeah. We have others that have appeared on our show in the past, including Dr. Carlene Petit. Uh, Christine Negroni, uh, Edward Skip Booth, who is an aviation attorney right here in the Jacksonville area, and many others that have called in the show and 
that shows that we've done in the past about aviation safety and crashes. And we thank them all. <clears throat> and uh, Dr. Petit or Carlene has several books that she's written on air aviation safety and uh, has a great depth of knowledge. So go out into bookstores or Amazon.com. Does it still appear there, George, that you can order your books on Amazon? Yeah, the uh, the Eastern book is still available. Unfortunately, the uh, publisher of my first book, a novel, uh, Flying Too Close to the Sun, he closed down shop. So uh, right now I'm shopping around myself for a uh, literary agent to represent me to uh, sell that book to uh, another uh, publisher. But with that said, I just had a tweak of interest from uh, out in the West Coast about perhaps – uh, doing something, a movie of some type, on that book, on a novel. So wow. if you recall, that was the one about yeah. a robbery. Yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. that would yeah. be a fantastic movie. Very um, great, based on that. Well, I'll, I'll keep our fingers crossed. You know? All right. And now to return once again to our very knowledgeable automotive expert to see how it's done, we finish our discussion with this sound clip. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Ms. Vito, please answer the question. Does the defense's case hold water? No. The defense <laughs> is wrong. Are you sure? I'm positive. How could you be so sure? Because there is no way that these tire marks were made by a 64 Buick Skylark. These marks were made by a 1963 Pontiac Tempest. Objection, Your Honor. Can we clarify to the court whether the witness is stating opinion or fact? This is your opinion? It's a fact. I find it hard to believe that this kind of information could be ascertained simply by looking at a picture. Would you like me to explain? I would love to hear this. <laughs> so would I. The car that made these two equal length tire marks had positive traction. Can't make those marks without positive traction, which was not available on the 64 Buick Skylark. And why not? What is positive traction? It's a limited slip differential which distributes power equally to both the right and left tires. The 64 Skylark had a regular differential, which anyone who's been stuck in the mud in Alabama knows. You step on the gas, one tire spins, the other tire does nothing. That's right. Is that it? No, there's more. You see, when the left tire mark goes up on the curb and the right tire mark stays flat and even, mm -hmm. well, the 64 Skylark had a solid rear axle. So when the left tire would go up on the curb, the right tire would tilt out and ride along its edge. But that didn't happen here. The tire mark stayed flat and even. This car had an independent rear suspension. Now, in the 60s, there were only two other cars made in America that had positive traction and independent rear suspension and enough power to make these marks. One was the Corvette, which could never be confused with the Buick Skylark. The other had the same body length, height, width, weight, wheelbase, and wheel track as the 64 Skylark, and that was the 1963 Pontiac Tempest. And because both cars were made by GM, were both cars available in metallic mint green paint? 
say what? Thank you, Miss Vito. No more questions. Thank you very, very much. You've been a lovely, lovely witness. <laughs> Now, you guys, if you've never seen Cousin Vinny, my cousin Vinny. Ms. Vito, please answer the question. Does the defense's case... Uh, I'm going to stop him right there. <laughs> yeah, Neo Demo. How about the, how about the, the youth? With, with, yeah. Didn't did he get an Academy with, Award for that movie? Uh, hang on yeah. a second. Jim's got a question. One at a time. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, it's not a question. It's a statement. When the past week... Carrie Sue and I have driven right by that stand, you know, that uh, country store where it all started. Yeah, and it was live oh. in the sun Good. and sack of suds. And we have driven by it twice <laughs> in the last week and probably 15 times in the last month. Oh, and because it's right there by our hunt club and where my hangar is at Seven Lakes Airport. And sad to say, it has opened up again. Same title, sad. You know, but it lasted about a year and it's closed down again. But that there right there was where that was that was made. And the city of Monticello, Georgia, is where it was. Uh, the trial was. It was oh, uh, right there on the square. Interesting. And uh, Eastern Captain, oh God, Carrie, help me out. Uh, was a, he and his wife were doing movies, just a, you know, audio, you know, sitting out and getting paid fifty dollars a day and a nice meal. And uh, and they were Walt in that Shelton. movie. Walt Shelton. And Walt Shelton. Shelton, yeah. Right. Know him. Right. Yeah. He was a very senior Eastern captain. And he and his wife uh, down there about three weeks, and they made about $75 a day. And Doris said we had a good meal every lunch. <laughs> <laughs> but if you ever go watch that movie, they're on the, sitting in the court side. They're on the left-hand side from the judge's view, and he's wearing a red She's wearing a red blouse and he's wearing a checkered shirt. I'm going to I'm going yeah. to watch it for the fifth time tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> that is that, 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 that uh, maybe is the a class, the rape. A yeah. 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 Excellent. Well, uh, did we figure it, out what a youth is? A youth, <laughs> yeah. A youth. A youth. Yeah. Two youths. <laughs> to you, yeah. yeah. The, the judge, what was his name? Uh, Ed uh, Quinn or, or Ed Gwynn, Yeah. yeah. Quinn. Ed Gwynn. Yeah, that was. Yeah, the guy who played on the Munsters. Yeah. Yeah. Munsters, yeah. yeah. Tootie and Muldoon. <laughs> yeah, he did a great job. Oh, yeah. That was wonderful. <laughs> well, that's our discussion uh, about being an expert witness, and we appreciate uh, all of. Especially the sound clips. Uh, I hope we don't have to pay royalty fees for that. But, uh, hey, hey, Neil, you know, I, yeah. I have one other thing that that most people are not aware of is that um, I believe it's once every year uh, aviation attorneys have to go through what we would consider to be recurrent training. And normally it's held in a, a law office somewhere here in New York. And... Uh, what they do is they put on mock trials there of uh, different aviation, um, you know, different things that went wrong. And maybe this year it might be, you know, the uh, 737 MAX. I don't know. But, um, and they have guest speakers. And um, last year uh, I-, I was invited a couple of times, 
and, and it's all acting, and it's really a lot of fun, but it's also very serious because they cross-examine you as an expert witness as if you would be in a courtroom. And then they have, um, uh, like, different people who are guest speakers at lunchtime. And uh, they had, I believe last year they had Jeffrey Skiles, who was the co-pilot in the, uh, on the Miracle on the Hudson. Um, I forget who the gentleman was the year before that. It had something to do with uh, aviation security. I'll tell you, it was the most interesting recurrent training I've ever been to. It was, uh, it was really good. But uh, most people aren't aware of that, that yeah. these uh, you know, attorneys do that every year, every other year. I don't recall. I think it's every year. Interesting to find that out. Kind of is it always in New York, George? Well, the one, the ones well, the that one, I believe one, it is. Uh, all the ones that I went to were in New York City. Uh, I went to three, and I was an actor in two of them. And the other time, I just sat and listened. But either way, it, it's really, really quite interesting. And it made me think more and more that I should have gone to law school. But you know now afraid that uh, that clock is ticked a little too far, you know. <laughs> Neil, can I, uh, can I bring up a little bit of an update? Sure. Uh, Go ahead, Jim. Remember when Air DC, uh, Eastern DC-7-836 was rebuilt and brought out for 30 years it hadn't flown, and they flew it to yeah. Atlanta, and we all went out and looked at it, and it went down to Miami, and they really restored that airplane. And what brought it up is that Jeffrey guy that was uh, on the uh, Miracle on the Hudson, first officer, uh, he ended up getting qualified on the DC-7 and got a type rating just so they could fly around in that airplane. And they did. They flew it to various air shows and such. And it took off out of Charlotte. And his wife uh, was uh, married to Steve Holder at one time, Eastern pilot. And uh, not Jeffrey's wife, but... uh, well, let me get out of this. I've forgotten exactly what I'm talking about with them. I shouldn't have got into that. But anyhow, they took off, and Jeffrey was uh, flying the airplane, and they lost an engine right after takeoff, and they returned to Charlotte. And uh, and Steve's wife was one of the flight attendants. And uh, and it sat there for a long time, and I kept trying to find out, did anybody ever come up with another 3350? Because there's not a lot of 3350s running around. And about a month ago, or less than a month ago, uh, out of the blue, I got an email from somebody uh, who had heard or read one of my emails from back, you know, three or four months ago about uh, where is 836, because it returned to Charlotte, and for about four years, nobody knew is it still sitting there. And I got an email from this guy, and he said it belongs to some uh, Charlotte North Carolina Museum right there on the airport, and they're proudly displaying it, I guess, inside of a big building or something like that. And so that's where 836 is now, according to that email I got. Jim Holder, I I flew the first uh, trip that uh, after they brought it out and they took it down to Miami and Mm -hmm. uh, out of Opelika, and um, we paid $125 to... uh, take that flight and uh, fill the airplane up and we went down uh, took off from Opelika made a right turn and headed down the coastline all the way down to Key Largo 
and then turned around, came back, and landed. And that was, uh, to me, it was well worth the $125 that I paid, but it was the first flight that was authorized by the FAA with passengers, uh, paying passengers. So mm -hmm. uh, beautiful restoration of that airplane, though. Oh, it beautiful. was beautiful. Yeah, I checked my logbook, and I actually flew that very airplane as a new hire in my first year with Eastern. I flew it about three times out of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. I flew A-36. Well, mm -hmm. there, there's a uh, there's a video that's out with Jeff Skiles in the cockpit flying that flight. I heard that yeah. the airplane was... That with the aircraft was back in Opelika, but I don't know if that's correct or not. Well, this um, guy I got about a month ago said that it is sitting in Charlotte in the museum, aviation museum at the Charlotte airport. And well, I'm going to talk to the flight attendant that works the airplane. Uh, uh, I can't think of her name. I want to say Carl Blunt. Blunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She oh, yeah. she and, communicates with me occasionally. And right. uh, she lives over here in Deltona area, mm -hmm. and uh, I believe I'll give her a call. I have a phone number and yeah. see if I can well, bring it up. Well, she's in all the movies along with website. Steve Holder's wife. Yeah. And Steve yeah. Holder's no relation to me, incidentally. Yeah, okay. I used to tell everybody <laughs> that he was my illegitimate son, but <laughs> go over too well. Kind of figured that out where you didn't say it right away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's not that much younger than me, but... <clears throat> <laughs> he called me dad sometimes. <laughs> well, let's uh, quickly find out what's happening to the new Eastern Airlines 3.0 version. And uh, if you can just tell us real quickly, Mark, and, uh, and give us the highlights of what you know that's happening to the airline. Mark? Sure. Uh, Eastern Airlines was to start up uh, Guyana service on the 19th. And the, there's a march against time in the coronavirus was heading this way quickly, and on the 19th, precisely, everything changed, and the uh, startup service to Guyana was canceled. Since then, Eastern Airlines has started relief flights to Argentina, Bolivia, Paraguay, Ecuador, Peru, Guyana, Suriname, Panama, Salvador, Haiti, Honduras, and Guatemala. Wow. Mm. Where do they fly the, as the as the events are now taking place, American Airlines has started to retire all of its remaining 36767s and its 757s. I think this is a big, good opportunity for Eastern Airlines to purchase a few of the 76s along with 75s to complement their 767 fleet. As their fleet is still small, it is a very good time for Eastern to refurbish the cabins. They're very having a hard time competing with JetBlue and American Airlines, whose cabins look impeccable inside, especially JetBlue flies A320 and A321. Um, the advantage Eastern has is theirs is wide body, and they can go further south um, as they were coming in from Bolivia and Paraguay, and the Paraguayans were exceptionally happy to see Eastern down there. I bet they were. Where, where is they a quick out of synopsis. In the States? Uh, George, what, what was your question, George? Uh, yeah, just wondering what city they fly out of here in the States. Uh, they're flying out of Miami right now to all those countries. And um, John F. Kennedy, and I think it's Houston that will be the third one. That evidently okay. is uh, what the CEO has on one of the uh, 
um, interest when he was doing the filing is that, of course, he has all the others, Baltimore, Dulles, Dallas, but I think it'll be Houston, and they'll serve the Caribbean, Central America, and South America out of Houston. That's fine. 99.9%. Mark, Chuck, you know the, uh, the load factors that they're getting? They're not that good. Uh, I had a uh, JetBlue um, person report to me that 20 people got off one flight uh, like a week ago. And so I don't know if those have increased, but um, I know they started to advertise in, in Ecuador, and I think that's good. And I think once they start an interline agreement with an airline there, the load factor would increase because you could offer flights to uh, Quito and to the Galapagos Islands. Mm-hmm. They're also doing cargo, though, aren't they? Right. They just started the cargo with um, Prime Air out of uh, Guayaquil and New York. So that's flowers, fish, and the flowers, fish, and I forget the other one. Okay. But, very yeah, good that's, report. That should help. Yeah, very John, good report. You say do, excuse me, Don, didn't the Eastern do flowers when they were... Oh yeah, that was a that was a great commodity when we got the ten eleven. Uh, they just they they have a seven four seven cargo now freighter, and it'd be interesting to see if they put that into their cargo division. Hmm. Okay, thanks so much, Mark. Well, Neil, and, uh, yeah, question, Jim. Neil. Did you have another seven seven zero come on your board this evening? Uh, yeah, no, have I have uh, j- just uh, two seven seven O's. Uh, let's see, Carrie. I do have one three eight six. Where is area code three eight six? I don't know. Yeah. I had somebody that I thought was going to call in and listen to it. Uh, perhaps he didn't. Yeah, it was a seven seven O though. Well, you know, here the last two weeks we've been talking about nothing but the coronavirus pandemic, and I have a couple of observations I've made here right from my house. Of course, we're staying in most of the time now, but uh, we sit out on the porch about two hours uh, in the morning, mid-morning, and then in the evening we sit out another couple of hours toward uh, dinner time, and uh, we've observed very, very, very few contrails above us. And before, most traffic coming from the Caribbean have come in, especially going to Chicago and Atlanta, and um, uh, those, those places come over Jacksonville, and you can almost point the direction to which city they're going to Uh, but uh, we usually have about five six or seven contrails at one time heading uh, north west south east and now we hardly see any contrails at all I did see two of them yesterday and um, they weren't recent they had uh, dissipated a great deal but I don't know. Has any uh, have any of you guys noticed that yeah, over I, your yeah. area? Uh, yeah, yes. I, I, I live I, twenty I miles east. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Yeah, Jim, go ahead. I was going to say, I've been taking a walk in the evenings about 7.30, just around the block here in the villages, and about every 10 minutes, uh, uh, a passenger plane, jet, they're flying in, looks like they're flying into Orlando, I would assume. Uh, uh, last night, I saw like five airplanes. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Jim, well, uh, what was your comment, yeah, Jim? I- my comment is I live 19 DME east of the Atlanta airport. I know because I've turned final so many times <laughs> looking right down on my house, landing to the west. And it's 19 DME. DME is distant measuring equipment for you non-pilots. It's sort of like miles, except it's different. And I'll tell you, I, have, I used to sit on that deck after the strike, and I'd look up, and all these airplanes coming over, landing to the west, making a left turn right over my house, and I felt terrible. I mean to tell you, I felt terrible. And then I got hired by American Friends A, and I finished up my career in the left seat. And when I came back in 1997 and sat on my deck and saw these airplanes coming over, making a left turn, landing to the west, I felt fine. I mean to tell you, I was fine. I said, I got the end of my career and had a big <laughs> retirement party, and it was a whole different Jim Holder watching those guys in 97. But since then, I continue to watch these airplanes come over my house. And I'll tell you, in the last month, I don't see hardly any coming over my house anymore. Yeah. And uh, and I'm here to tell you, I mean like 10% maybe or less of what it usually is coming right over my house. Now, when they're landing to the east, I don't see them. But when they come over and they used to back up, maybe it's because they don't have that many and they got a 10-mile final instead of a 20-mile final. But uh, that's my that's my opinion. I'm sticking with it. Well, you guys up in New York, Mike and uh, and uh, George, you guys don't see the contrails because they're already descending into your area. And what what do you observe up there as far as traffic? Well, there's been um, lots of lots of contrails. I see them out of my kitchen window all the time. But uh, I used to see them. I see very few now. Yeah. yeah, same. I'm not. I'm not near any uh, airway paths, but uh, you know, every once in a while I get hear them. But the only thing I hear now, occasionally, is is in at night, which are late at night, which are obviously uh, freighter flights. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, in Orlando, they canceled a lot of the cruise ships that were coming back from different areas, uh, being the Disney cruise. And it's possible that those people who can't cruise back are flying back and and what Donna is seeing. Yeah. The traffic. Um, well, uh hopefully we'll manage to get through this here sooner than later. But uh, Dorothy, do you have a letter you wanna read? Yes, I will. And before I do that, um, Jim was looking at 306 area code. It's Saskatchewan in Canada. It's a mobile phone. It looks like it doesn't look like any residential um, uh, mobile, although some down at the bottom do say landline out of different parts of that area. Mm -hmm. Well, 386 could be Renee also. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, uh, yes, the letter um, that we are writing from our group, uh, and it will be in this week's e-blast, is, Dear members, here in the United States, though the numbers increase, 
It only confirms our suspicions that more U.S. citizens had this coronavirus but didn't even know it until testing was done, which now has become available. Folks are doing whatever necessary to conquer this by following rules to self-quarantine themselves, which in the end helps not just them but all of us. Our medical staff is working around the clock, and we stay positive that we will conquer this disease with many of us staying in and following the proper protocol. The news daily on this infectious, infectious virus that has hit the world is hard to hear, though recently we heard announced that China is announcing less cases there. Italy is working its way, but unfortunately, like the U.S., other countries are showing signs of increasing cases, too. Though it is a great challenge to all of us, we keep being positive, and we are praying that we hear the negative cases supersede the positive cases. We do this by following guidelines and staying at home. We are doing our share here of listening intently to what is requested of us to do to minimize any more infections being spread locally, domestically, and worldwide. Following the extremely important guidelines outlined will help all of us everywhere. As without diligence to do the right thing, being smart with our choices to stay home, keep a good separation when necessary to go out to shop as food need requires, wash your hands thoroughly and often, and covering your mouth when coughing or sneezing can only save all of us, and or it keeps us from passing it on to others who are more prone to immunity issues. Remember, at our ages, we may have underlying problems to exacerbate this infection, so we must do everything to prevent the spread of this terrible virus. We have found here a way to help ourselves. Here are some you may want to institute yourself. Our pharmacy is dropping off medications. Public will drop off groceries if close to them, and or you can order them online using the credit card and pick them up at the door. The United States Post Office picks up or drops off any delivery, and stamps can be ordered online. We cancel routine office visits for primary cardiologists and dental doctors, dermatologists, too. We cancel hair <laughs> and nail appointments and postpone them until the second week in April, but we'll postpone them longer if necessary. We all know at some point we will fly into the wind, but we prefer to stay here on Earth for as long as we can and do so as healthy as we can. We will survive this pandemonium with the help of all of us by following explicit rules. We are the Eastern family, and we will make it through this challenge, and we will see the light of day. We, all of us here, want to extend our prayers to all of the Eastern family and to the world that we keep as safe and sound as possible. Thank you all for being a great part of our Eastern family. Captain Neil, Don and I, and the entire radio show team of hosts, we thank you. Back to you, Neil. Great, great. Thank you so much, Dorothy. Uh, how about uh, what's coming up next? I'd like to make an announcement about the Thursday show. We did our first REPA radio hour. Jim Holder, I hope I don't get sued for REPA radio hour. But uh, 
It was a lot uh, of we'll fun. Cut you some slack. <laughs> it's fun to do. It really is. And uh, uh, we'll do another one this coming Thursday because there's just so many stories, great stories, that are in the Reaper magazines, of which Jim Holder served uh, 15 years and is about to extend that service now. Uh, with uh, repartee, the magazine of the association. So we thought it would be good to come up with an idea for Thursday, since we're not doing the old-time radio show, and do the REPA radio hour. So that's what we have. It's at 3 o'clock, and we invite uh, all of our listeners to listen in and uh, enjoy the stories that are told by the airmail pilots, the DC-7 pilots, the modern-day jet pilots that uh, flew Eastern Airlines. Great, great stories. And, yes, um, too, Neil, as a reminder, uh, your first program that you did can be seen uh, by going to our website, www.ealradioshow.com. They can click on it. It will bring them right into the Blog Talk Radio, and they can just click on it, and they'll be able to hear it. And wait till they hear the sound clips that you have. They were fabulous. John and I just loved them. (laughs) So that's where it is. Well, we're adding sound now, Jim, to the Repartee magazine. So... It was a lot of fun, yes. and uh, I'd yes. like to have anyone that wants to join in. Uh, I can tell you what you can do to add to that. Uh, it's about an hour long. I thought it would only be about a half hour, and uh, but we do about an hour show, 45 minutes to an hour is what it's going to run. But it's at 3 o'clock, so now that everyone is at home, uh, go and listen to it on your computer uh, call in and and at the end we did mike you joined us last uh thursday and you're welcome to join us again and the banner that we had it was a lot of fun mike that was very interesting your conversation with neil i thought it was great sorry we weren't on personally yeah well i'm kind of a kind of a collector of everything yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm writing this down on my calendar. You say the 26th at 3 p.m. the Reaper yes. Radio Show. Yes. The Reaper Radio Hour. So put that out if I you will. want, uh, Jim, on your on your website on Reaper Online, and we'd like uh, everyone to join because it's coming straight from the books, uh, the book that uh, John Engel and I put together, which was mm-hmm. the best of repartee, which was 35 years. When we did the book, and the first uh, show that we had was the formation of uh, the Retired Eastern Pilots Association, uh, the mm-hmm. letter uh, making uh, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker an honorary lifetime member, and uh, so we and we read a couple of stories, and that's what we're going to do each Thursday. And if you want to join mm-hmm. in, please come and take part in the show. It's a lot of fun. Uh, okay, what's that's coming up besides that? Thursday uh, at 3 p.m. Okay. Three, 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thursday. It's, it's on our website, too, Jim. You yeah. can get it from there. Okay. Dorothy, what's coming up besides uh, the Thursday show, which I just... Well, Mr. Producer, <laughs> we are having coming up as our next show, Monday evening, March 30th, will be the Eastern Music 
the greatest music of the 70s with eclectic artists. Uh, we have following that uh, deregulation on April 6th. How does it affect airlines? And then we have some others that are coming up, uh, which will also be on the website. I keep them on the home page. So all you have to do is click on that radio show website, and it's right there for you. You can pick it up each and every week. And we will send the e-blast. And for anyone that doesn't have an e-blast, be sure to call, uh, write to me at www.host.ealradioshow.com and we'll make sure that you get on our list and be added to it. Uh, we do have, uh, uh, just uh, another minute, we do have a new uh, member that joined us uh, last week, actually, um, and that's David Harvey of Spring Lake, um, Missouri, worked at PHL, and the dates with Eastern were from 